1: You are listening to As a Woman, episode 22, Environmental Toxins and Your Fertility. In this episode, I'm speaking with one of my dear friends, Dr. Laura Shaheen. We are reviewing the impact of common environmental toxins and endocrine disrupting chemicals on your reproductive health. We're telling you what can happen if you're exposed, letting you know that you have been exposed unless you make changes to your day-to-day life, And we are giving you the blueprint to decrease your burden of these chemicals. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition, while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi friends, welcome back to As A Woman. I am so excited for you to be listening to episode 22, Environmental Toxins and Your Fertility. I am sitting here in a hotel room in Chicago with one of my dear friends, Dr. Laura Shaheen. I am so honored to have her here. A little bit about her. She is a reproductive endocrinologist and she's currently practicing at Pacific Northwest Fertility and IVF Specialist in Seattle. She's originally from North Carolina. She graduated from Georgetown, did med school at Wake Forest, her residency in OBGYN at UCSF, and fellowship at Stanford. She is currently clinical faculty at the University of Washington, and she is director of the Center of Recurrent Pregnancy Loss at Pacific Northwest Fertility. She provides amazing, excellent clinical care, practices evidence based research and she's a huge advocate for women. She is on social media at Dr. Laura Shaheen. She blogs, and she has written books. And I just heard her give a wonderful talk today, and I am just so excited to be able to share all this information that we just learned today with you. So let's get started. Hi, friends. I am so excited to have you with me today. We are talking with one of my best friends in the field, somebody who has mentored me, helped give me advice, been a lovely friend. This is Dr. Laura Shaheen, and we're going to be talking about something you ask all the time, which is environmental toxins and your reproductive health. Laura, welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Natalie. I am truly honored to be here. I absolutely love your podcast and this is a highlight for me. Thank you. Ah, thank you.
1: For all of you guys listening, we are actually in my hotel room. Right now we are at the MRSI meeting in Chicago and I've set up the craziest little system. So I've got a sweater and pillows and And we're huddled over the microphone and we look ridiculous. But maybe we'll take a picture afterward and show you on social media what it looks like. I wanna start by Laura, please tell everybody a little bit about you and where you practice and how we can find you on social media.
0: Thank you. So my handles on social media are Dr. Laura Shaheen. Um, So it's L O R A S H A H I N E, Dr. Laura Shaheen on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, even Peloton. And um, I, <laughs> I am a reproductive endocrinologist practicing at Pacific Northwest Fertility in Seattle. Um, I grew up in North Carolina and did medical school at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, my hometown, but by way of Washington, D.C. and a residency at UCSF and a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology at Stanford, I found my dream job in Seattle and I've been there for over 10 years. So I just love your story,
1: and I just heard you give a lovely talk on environmental toxins and their impact on health. The one thing I want you to start with is how did you even get interested in learning more about this subject matter?
0: That's great. I, um, In my spare time, I love writing and educating, and I have my own blog, and I've written um, a couple of patient-centered books uh, specifically on- Yeah, what are the names? Tell everybody. Sure. Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy is an integrative- um, health book on how to incorporate acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine into your fertility care, if that's the right choice for you. Um, And my second book is Not Broken, An Approachable Guide to Miscarriage and Recurrent Pregnancy Loss. And diving into the research for both of those books really opened my eyes to how Impactful endocrine disruptors and toxins in our environment and our everyday life impact our egg quality, our sperm quality, and our success with fertility treatments and even miscarriage.
1: So, this is a topic that I'm super interested in, also. I know we've talked about it on my Instagram and in the Naturally Infertile episode of this podcast, but when I was a fellow, I actually did some research looking at natural fertility with a compound called PFC, so perfluorinated chemicals. And at that time, I was just shocked at how much research there is about environmental toxins that nobody's really talking about on a day-to-day level. And we went through and got rid of all of our Teflon and our plastic and our microwave and really tried to clean up some of the things in our house. But aren't you also shocked at how much data there is out there?
0: Absolutely. In the literature, there's hundreds and hundreds of studies talking about PFCs affecting our health.
1: So I think some people listening may not have a good idea of some of these chemical names, but so let's just walk through some of the most common ones. And I think most people have heard about BPA. And so I'd like to start with you telling us a little bit about BPA, what you have learned from all of your investigating this as far as BPA's impact on our reproductive health, and then we can maybe talk about steps on how we can avoid it.
0: Perfect. BPA is bisphenol A, and it's one of the most studied um, endocrine disruptors or chemicals that's man-made that impacts our um, hormonal system.
1: Is it true that BPA
0: was first developed to be an estrogen-like compound? Absolutely. BPA was developed in the late 1800s in the pharmaceutical industry to be used as synthetic estrogen. And the only reason that it was replaced as a pharmaceutical agent or medication to be given to women to prevent miscarriage and replace estrogen uh, in the body was it was replaced by another medication called DES or diethylsilbestrol.
1: Those of you in the medical field or who are OBGYNs or are medical students or reproductive endocrinologists like us, this must appall you like it does us because we all know about DES exposure causing significant abnormalities in women. And so the fact that BPA was used for the same thing
0: and a similar compound of DES, that's scary. Yeah, you can pretty much hear a pin drop in any audience that I dropped that informational bomb, in that everybody has learned about DES in medical school and knows that it was banned in the 1970s for use as a pharmaceutical agent because babies born from women who received it in pregnancy had a higher risk of vaginal clear cell carcinoma and genital malformations. So we all learn that as a test answer as we're going through our schooling. And then to to, for us now to learn that BPA was used in a similar fashion is really eye-opening.
1: What have you found in current studies that are out there about the impact of BPA on reproduction. And I'll go ahead and say that for most of you listening who don't know, when we look at environmental chemicals and studies, it's usually not an all or nothing. Most people are exposed to some. So what we tend to do is divide exposure levels into quartiles. So you divide it up into the data. And most studies are comparing the highest and the lowest quartiles to try to see if those with the most exposure have different impacts on their health than those with
0: the lowest exposure. That's great. And I um, I think If you're going to talk about egg quality and BPA, there's a story to be told, and the story is Patricia Hunt's lab at Case Western in the late 1990s was testing meiosis, which is a chromosome function within the egg, in mice. And mice are very efficient at reproducing, and only 1% to 2% of their eggs are going to make mistakes when they're doing this chromosome function. But all of a sudden in her lab, 40% of the eggs had chromosome dysfunction, and meiosis problems and she went through a very scientific and detailed method including moving her entire lab to a different place on campus to discover that the source of this dysfunction was bpa that was leaching from new water bottles that the mice were drinking from and as soon as she replaced that and they were no longer exposed to bpa the um, function of the eggs returned to normal
1: This is fascinating to me, one, because we know that in humans, meiosis is when our egg cells or our oocytes are dividing. And this is when we have the highest rate of genetic abnormalities introduced. And this is part of what happens when we get older or we're concerned about egg quality is that we see more errors in meiosis. And so to see that in an animal model, there were this significantly higher number, like 2% to 40% when they had BPA exposure in their water bottles, it sure makes you concerned about all the
0: plastic exposure that humans have had. Exactly. So BPA is found in so many household products, like our plastic water bottles, a lot of food containers, um, a lot of to-go food containers, uh, canned food. And so often we really are exposed to it. And so it's important to learn about this. But something that Natalie touched on, which I think is really important, is that The studies that are done in humans and on human eggs and sperm and even miscarriages, really the biggest impact are in people that have the highest exposure And I really try to emphasize that if we can do small things and change small things in our life to decrease exposure, we can make a huge difference.
1: So just not drinking out of plastic water bottles or leaving your plastic water bottle in the sun, like carrying a stainless steel or a glass water bottle and refilling it, those things can make a difference, even if
0: that's all you're starting to change because... You're lowering your quartile, right? Exactly. And so I really try to make sure I leave with a positive message that small changes, you can see quickly people making small changes and lower levels of BPA in their system within days.
1: Something I get asked all the time, and I know what you're going to answer because I already heard you say it, but I think it's important is, well, this water bottle is safe or this baby bottle is safe because even though it's plastic, It has a big sticker on it that says BPA-free. What's your thought there?
0: Great. Well, there's BPA through Z. There are so many bisphenols, and there are so many parts of plastic that we haven't studied as well as BPA. So I think it's better to be safe and use glass and stainless steel rather than plastic and not to be overly um, comforted by a marketing tool, quite honestly.
1: When you use our code A-A-W, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Thank you Quince. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They are essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Yeah, I totally agree. I tell people that all the time, that in this country, in the United States, we are not very good at regulating our chemicals. And there's a lot of reasons why, a lot of industry reasons But the truth is that just because it's labeled that it doesn't have one chemical, it still is plastic and has to be made and has other things in it that just have not been studied. That doesn't mean that they're safe just because they haven't been studied, right? Exactly. Great point. What do you think, Laura, about the difference in regulations in the U.S. and in other countries as far as chemicals go?
0: Um, It's pretty dramatic, and I think um, the best example is um, phthalates, which is a different endocrine disruptor. Mm -hmm. Um, This is also a plasticizer, meaning like BPA, it's used in a lot of plastics to make them soft and flexible and um, withhold exposures. Um, Phthalates are also found in so many of our beauty products and shampoos and laundry detergents. And um, if you look at industry, the last time that there was a limit or a law passed to control the amount of a chemical in a beauty product or something that you put on your skin that's in your house, but you're not actually eating was 1938 in the United States. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a total of 11 chemicals that have been banned by the FDA for use in, again, household products that we're putting on our skin. Um, But in Europe, it's over 1,500 have been limited. It's really dramatically different.
1: This fact, when I talk about endocrine-disrupting chemicals with women or with patients, is the most concerning, meaning I feel like people can conceptually wrap their head around not putting plastic in the microwave or the dishwasher or using the stainless steel water bottle. But the thought that the makeup they love or the shampoo or the perfume they wear every day is causing them reproductive harm that's a really big burden for them. And there's a huge barrier to
0: overcoming that. Do you see that also? Absolutely. This is about the time where people shut down. This is very unsettling information. And when I was researching for my books and my blog posts, there was a really dark time where I kind of shut down a little bit and ignored it a little bit. And um, But learning that making small changes makes a huge difference, I feel like it can be empowering knowledge. I don't feel like we have to be afraid of it. And I think that um, you can really just take it one product at a time and check your products.
1: How do you recommend somebody finds out if their products that they're using are good or bad?
0: Great question. There are apps that you can use on your phone. One is called Think Dirty App. You can download it on your smartphone right now. Another resource is Environmental Working Group. They have an app as well, but they also have extensive information on their website, ewg.org. You can take these apps to the drugstore with you or take it into your bathroom and you can scan a barcode with your smartphone and these apps will tell you um, how many chemicals are in it or how safe these products are.
1: And I usually have people tell me at this time, well, I don't really think that phthalates or these things in fragrance are making that big of a difference on my reproductive health. What do you say to that?
0: Great. And I think that there could be people where this impacts some people more than others. Um, I think everybody's body is different, but I think that it's better to be safe than sorry. And being infertile or struggling to complete your family because you're having multiple miscarriages, you can feel so out of control. And I think this is one place where people can take a little control back.
1: I love that so much because... That's my approach also. There's so little you can take control of in this whole process, but you can control what you put on your skin, how you prepare your food, what you put into your body and on your body, and making those little changes, don't we at least want to optimize our chance of success? Maybe we can't control it, but we're not looking backwards wondering oh, was I hurting myself or should I be doing something different? I find that it's empowering for women to know this information and make changes
0: based off of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of families are maybe exposed to this process when they're buying products for their babies. Yeah, I think that that is a place in marketing um, that the industry has really found um, a group of people that's going to pay attention to it because they want to protect their babies. But don't you think, and this is what I find so fascinating, so when you are
1: pregnant as a woman, A lot of your toxin burden is passed on to the baby. So what we found in studies is that women before pregnancy and after pregnancy, they have a lowering of their burden of environmental toxins in their own blood. And that difference is found in the baby. So the baby and the placenta are born with these toxin levels that they've been exposed to. So the more pregnancies you've had as a woman, you will have lower levels of your own, but you're passing that on. So I think preconception exposure and what you're doing during your pregnancy really does matter for the health of your baby because we don't know the long-term impact of being exposed to these chemicals at preconception or at pregnancy and throughout conception and then your whole life because this is not how our grandparents were raised. They weren't drinking out of plastics and using products with BPA and phthalates and all of this stuff, right?
0: And there really are some good transgenerational effects Studies that have been done in animal models. One of the best studies I looked at is exposing mice to um, high levels of BPA leads to obesity. And, you know, mice are given the same amount of calories to eat and the same ability to exercise, but if they have higher and higher levels of BPA given to them um, in a dose response, they are more obese. And when Crazy. these mice go on to reproduce, they're Children, baby mice, (laughs) um, carry that on. So the second generation, given the same amount of calories and the same exercise level and not changing BPA exposure, the obese mice from high levels of BPA have obese children. So it's
1: like the BPA in this example or the environmental toxins are changing the genetic code or the genetic expression for different diseases or predispositions to things that we just don't fully understand yet.
0: Exactly. And there is um, studies from the CDC and NIH looking at transgenerational effects of DES and the grandchildren of people who took DES in, you know, before it was banned Mm -hmm. are actually having genital malformations and higher levels of cancer. So it's an ongoing study.
1: So this feels like such compelling data to me. And sometimes I have women say, well, this is just something Instagram doctors talk about because it's popular or it's trendy or people want to hear it, but it's actually not the case. Our national societies have released
0: committee opinions or statements about chemicals, right? Absolutely. There's a wonderful resource online. It's a UCSF's resource looking at um, endocrine disruptors. Statements from all different medical societies, and it's open to anybody online. Specifically, ACOG and ASRM, which are OBGYN and um, reproductive endocrinologists um, professional societies, came together and published a joint statement in 2013 saying that there is overwhelming evidence to support that endocrine disruptors impact our reproductive health, and it is important for providers to educate their patients. And to actually use purchasing power to push legislation to protect everyone.
1: So our national committees and societies in reproductive health are saying that consumers need to be the driving force to change industry practices, essentially admitting that industry doesn't have much motivation in the current market to change on their own, right?
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true.
1: I also think it's really fascinating. You know, when you just look at all the little things that people don't ever think about. And so when I try to give my summary to my patients, here's your little two-minute blur because we're covering so much stuff at a new patient visit. What are the things you need to do to try to avoid these exposures? So you can use your purchasing power. You can use the apps to try to find better beauty products and skincare. You can also change how you prepare food. You can change the food that you eat. So eating organic food, eating non-processed food, it's both the processing and the packaging, right, that Mm -hmm. contains things. There was one study you talked about today that also showed that vegans tended to have lower exposure levels to some chemicals than those people who weren't. And that's probably part of the food industry and the packaging process, don't you think? Mm -hmm. And what about, tell me about the receipt situation, the thermal paper,
0: right? Yeah, so BPA is used to... um process and make um, thermal receipts. So um, cash registers, airplane tickets, concert tickets. So my recommendation is to go paperless.
1: And I always think if you work at Whole Foods or you're a flight attendant or you're exposed to thermal paper that's printing this, you need to like wear gloves, right? Because it's part of your job. You can't not do that. However, you're in the highest exposure group there because you're handling it all the time. And
0: those patients have no idea. Don't you find that too? Oh, Oh, absolutely. Um, I think one pushback, it was so good that you talked about that this can't be considered trendy. Mm-hmm. One pushback is that this push towards organic or um, you know BPA-free or phthalate-free is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that that was the case years ago, but I think mm-hmm. that there are so many more options yeah. these days. And even if you can't always afford organic food, just the process of washing your fruits and vegetables will decrease the pesticide burden tremendously. So there's still things that you can do, even if it seems... Cost prohibitive.
1: And not like rinsing it under the water for one second. So you want to make sure you're really cleaning it, not just a light dusting of water. Great. What other advice do you give to people or what kind of summary do you say about all of this really overwhelming information for somebody who's never heard this before?
0: Absolutely. I say take a deep breath. Um, The worst thing that you could do is to ignore the information, which is easy to do because when you first learn about it, it's easy to shut down. And um, and I think it's really important to take everything in moderation and just take one product at a time. You know, when you run out of your shampoo, turn it over, check the barcode. If it's not as non-toxic as you feel comfortable, find a different product and just take it one product at a time. And please remember two huge facts. Number one, when you make changes, it makes a huge difference quickly. Within days, you can see lower levels of BPA and phthalates in the system. And number two is the evidence is really showing the biggest impact in people that have the highest level of exposure. Um, So sometimes people get so overwhelmed with this that they're just worried and seeing that BPA and phthalates are everywhere. But really, truly, it's the highest quartile of people, the highest level. So making those small changes really decreases the impact on your reproductive health.
1: I love that. And I think that's important to remember. We're not asking you to go make huge drastic changes to every aspect of your life at once or every move you make in the direction of better is lowering your exposure level and helping you to control your own health. And we're only talking about reproductive health in this podcast. However, there are plenty of studies showing that these endocrine disrupting chemicals have long lasting impacts on your health in other arenas. Isn't that right?
0: Absolutely. Obesity, diabetes, cancer risk, thyroid function, endometriosis, PCOS. I could go on and on.
1: And I think that's really compelling also. It's not just oh, well, I've already completed my family, so maybe this doesn't apply to me. I think you need to look at the long-term risks for your own health, but also the health of your family. And you set the tone for what your life is like. You you make these decisions, and making no change is making no decision. And that's still an action. That's an action step to know, now you know, you're exposed to these things. It's up to you to decide if you're going to take control of that side of your health or not. And the one thing I want to end with is I loved, in today's talk at the end of it, they asked a question to this room full of people in reproductive health how many people are now going to counsel their patients about endocrine disrupting chemicals and exposures and what they should or should not be doing after hearing your talk and the number was like 90% of people were going to change how they practiced after hearing this talk and that's a room full of physicians too I think that's so impactful Laura and I think this is really going to reach so many women and I'm so honored and proud to have you here Thank you so much, Natalie. Okay. Well, everybody, if you don't follow Laura already, you need to go ahead and do that. She's got a great blog. She puts out amazing educational content on her Instagram, and I love her books also. So please feel free to reach out with any questions, and otherwise, thanks so much. And I just want to end by saying thank you so much to all of you for taking the time out of your day and your life to listen to the As A Woman podcast. I can't even tell you how much it means to me and to every one of you who takes that extra step to go rate or review or send me a message, you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining and please join us next week as we talk about your professional persona.